and welcome to episode 15 of The Witcher Chapter by Chapter Book Review, where I will go through a summary of what happened in the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today, I'll be discussing chapter 2 from book 3, Blood of Elves. So I gotta tell you, I am very happy to be recording right now. I actually meant to record this yesterday, although I think my original intention was to get this recorded a couple of days ago. But I was really busy with work, and then I just, I don't know, I just didn't feel like I had it in me. And then um, yesterday, I, I was i was going to do it last night, but then I felt tired, and I don't want to be tired for you guys. I want to, I, I, I want to talk about this with the excitement that I actually have, which is really hard to see when I'm exhausted. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, uh, I also thought that maybe I would probably rush through it if I if I did it while I was just excited to get done and go to bed. And I, I don't want to rush through it either. I want to be able to flesh out the details as much as my brain will allow. So I am feeling really good today. So this is definitely a much better day. I'm glad that I put it off, but I'm getting really close to the um, day that I want to get this uploaded. If you didn't know, and I, I, I now that I think about it, I've never mentioned this in an episode. I do have an upload schedule, if you haven't noticed. Um, it's every Saturday. I usually upload them. I think it's like, I, I said it on a schedule, like I don't actually get up super early and do it, but it's like 4 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. Pacific time, um, Pacific in the U.S. And uh, yeah, so if you didn't know, I upload new episodes every week and that's across the three platforms that I upload them to. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting really close to the day that I need to upload this. So it's a good thing that I am feeling energetic enough today <laughs> and not stressed out um, and enough to be able to record this. But yeah, I'm just relieved because I love getting lost and talking about The Witcher and I need a break from reality. I need to step inside of this world and outside of the real world because the real world is just... You know about it. It's stressful at times. So here we are. I'm not going to linger on that point because that's not what you came here for. You came here to also get lost in the Witcher world with me. So we'll start doing that by recapping last episode, summarizing this chapter, and then my one-person, one-sided discussion on the chapter. So I guess we could just kick that off with the recap. Um, got nothing else to say, so here it is. In chapter one, we left off with Yennefer saving Dandelion from torture done by a possible Nilfgaardian mage named Ryance, who was looking for information on Ciri's whereabouts. We also left off with Geralt and Ciri arriving at the Witcher's Keep of Kaer Morhen, where they were greeted by Geralt's Witcher friends and his mentor and father-like figure, Vesemir, wintering at the castle. All right, so here is the summary of chapter two. So we, the reader, find ourselves learning a lot in this chapter from the POV character, a sorceress who, until now, we believe to be dead, Triss Marigold. Triss is traveling to Kaer after being summoned for a reason unknown to her. As she's nearing the Witcher's Keep, she comes across Ciri running on a nearby trail as a form of a Witcher's exercise. The two introduce themselves and head to the castle together. On the way, Ciri goes into a trance and starts speaking from someone else, telling Triss to turn back and bring Ciri with her or she'll die. Ciri quickly snaps out of it, but Triss is of course concerned. Not concerned enough to heed the advice of whoever was talking through Ciri. 
They arrive at the castle and are greeted by the witchers. Triss has been longing for Geralt after a previous affair and is desperate for a moment alone with him. During one brief moment together, she kisses him, but he stops her when Vesemir and Cohen approach. Vesemir is happy to see her and tells her she'll have the best bed in Kaer Morhen, which is disappointing to Triss, who had hoped to sleep with Geralt. That night in bed, Triss can't sleep, frustrated that Geralt hasn't come to her. She resolves to believe he isn't actually interested in continuing their previous affair, so she switches her focus to Ciri. She believes she must have been summoned because Ciri went into a trance in their presence, like she did Triss's, and they are now seeking a mage's help with the matter. The next day, Triss tries to help Ciri with her poorly constructed training outfit. While doing so, she discovers that the witchers have been training Ciri with no mercy, as she sees her body is covered in bruises. Ciri is very indifferent to this, but does ask Triss if she has the ability to use magic to stop her from menstruating. Triss gets very upset at this and confronts the witchers for their lack of care with the exercises and for making her train during those times of the month. This changes things as Ciri enters the room wearing a dress and firmly telling the witchers she is indisposed and will not be training today. The witchers, feeling quite uncomfortable, agree. They also agree to have Triss stay for a while to help with Ciri. After Ciri leaves the room, Vesemir agrees that Triss was summoned to care more and to address Ciri's mediumistic powers. Alright, so that was the summary, which I don't know if you noticed, but that was a lot shorter than my usual summaries. And that's not because this is a chapter where there was very few events that took place. I'm actually working on making my summaries shorter because I feel like most of you who are listening to these episodes, I've already read the books, so you do know what goes on. And maybe if you're not reading along, like if you've read them in the past, sometime within the past couple of years even, you might need a refresher, like a little brief summary on what goes on. But sometimes I think I might be adding way too many details, especially because I discuss what happens after I summarize it. So I'm actually starting to work on making my summaries a lot shorter. <laughs> but yeah, this was a short chapter. Um, well. I mean, not like short, short, but it, it, there wasn't a lot of action that took place. We do, however, learn a lot, which is great. And I'm going to talk about that for sure, because we actually learned some things that I have talked about in previous episodes, and we're, we're getting some answers here. So I want to start by talking about Triss. So this is the first time we meet her, and we have heard a few mentions of her before. If you remember the first one, very briefly, she was mentioned in the Last Wish story. Uh, Yen refers to her as her friend. And then the second mention was in the Something More story. So very recently, Geralt reads her name on the grave dedicated to the 14 sorcerers who died in the Battle of Sodom. So at that time, he had already met her and gotten to know her. So we never actually witnessed any meetings between them until this chapter. So anything that took place between them, like the first time they met, any interaction that they've had between then and now has been, you know, off screen, <laughs> if you will. Um, here is where we learn that obviously her name was added to that monument on the hill by mistake. So uh, the monument that was honoring the sorcerers who died at the Battle of Sodden, somebody mistook um, somebody else for her. So she survived that battle. And I did note in something more in the episode where we covered something more that it was a shame that Yen's friend died. But fortunately, she didn't, which is great. But... <laughs> Unfortunately, her friend is obsessed with Geralt and had an affair with him after a time when Geralt and Yennefer were broken up. Uh, I don't think I gotta tell you why that's not good. <laughs> uh, there is 
no way that Yennefer is okay with this. So it makes me wonder if she even knows. We have no idea whatsoever at this point if Yennefer knows. I, I know that this is a different world. It's a different society. People aren't going to behave the same way they do in, you know, in, in our society where, you know, if you sleep with somebody's ex, if you sleep with a friend's ex, um, people get upset about it. in this world. Maybe that's not the case, but we know Yennefer well enough. We know how proud she is. There's not the slightest chance that she would find out about that and be cool with it. So maybe that could be why she told Dandelion in chapter one of this book that she and Geralt don't owe each other anything. Uh, I think she phrased it like, um, how did she say it actually? She said something like, uh, crap, I can't even remember now. It was on the tip of my tongue, but I lost it. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she said that they don't owe each other owe each other anything. And I I wonder if this is why, but also maybe it's just because, you know, he left her in Vengerberg at that one time, and then she left him in the a shard of ice story, you know, with the whole thing with with Istrid. So maybe that's all it's referring to when she doesn't know about Triss. Uh I I can kind of see though that maybe she found out about Triss and then forgave Geralt and I don't know. You know what? We'll save that for later in case it comes up again. I don't want to I don't I don't want to make too many guesses here just in case I'm totally off. But I can guarantee you Jennifer would not be okay with this knowledge. <laughs> so Triss seems to be in love or at the very least strongly infatuated with Geralt. They had an affair at one point in the past, but he doesn't seem to reciprocate those feelings for her any longer. So I wonder if this is because he feels guilty because of Yen, or if it's something else. Uh, maybe it's kind of a combination of the two. He feels guilty because of Yen, and maybe I know that Triss mentions that the two of them got together after a time where he and Yennefer were kind of donezo. So what I'm wondering is that maybe he was he was just sad he was in a bad place and Triss was there and I mean it even mentions that Triss used a little bit of magic too she used a little magic to get him to sleep with her which is that sounds pretty horrible I hope that it really wasn't as awful as that sounds and maybe it was just described too briefly but that sounds bad <laughs> um but yeah maybe it was that you know just the magic that was used to convince him to sleep with her uh, once that magic wore off, he's like, oh, I'm actually not interested in this woman. Or it could have just been him in this sad, dark place. And he felt like he was receiving comfort from Triss. And, you know, it felt good at the time. But then later it was, you know, it, it wasn't something that could last for him because of that. Or maybe it's just only that he feels guilty because of Yennefer, which would be totally understandable. But the thing is, is we barely get any insight into... Geralt's thoughts or general perspective here, which feels very unusual since that's what we're the most familiar with from the first two books. So even in chapter one, we didn't really get his perspective. Um, he was just in those kind of brief scenes with Siri, but that was mostly her perspective that we were seeing. And well, I guess only her perspective that we were seeing. So as unusual as this feels, it definitely makes it a little bit more tricky from the reader's point of view to understand why Geralt makes the decisions that he's making or um, thinks the way that he thinks or feels the way that he feels. 
Uh, however, we do get a very quick thought from Geralt in something more about Triss. Super brief. It just says that he liked her and she liked him. Like he recalled what he thought about her. He said she uh, was la she always she laughed at everything, something like that, and that he liked her and she liked him. But he he doesn't even think about the affair, or he doesn't think about her romantically at all. So uh, the one the only time that we get Geralt's perspective on Triss is when he's just having a platonic thought about her. So yeah, those feelings definitely did not last very long for him. But it's pretty interesting because Geralt has gone through these other moments, these has experienced these other events that we are completely unaware of. And it also kind of makes you wonder what else don't we know about? <laughs> like what else is going to come up later that would that's something that would have taken place in the past after we met him, after, you know, the very initial time that we learned anything about him. And it was just never covered in one of the short stories or at all yet in Blood of Elves. So there could be more going on that we're going to find out in the future. I mean, I'm not saying that has to do with Triss, but about anything. So yeah, that's why I think that's pretty compelling. All right, moving on. Each chapter in this book starts out with a little blurb. I don't really know exactly what you would call it, but in this chapter, it's pulled from a monstrum written by an anonymous sorcerer about how witchers are basically evil and deserve to die. Um, right after Triss and Ciri meet, they head to the castle and they're moving across a lot of dilapidated and destroyed ruins and they cross over a moat that's strewn with skeletons. So Triss internally explains these skeletons are kept there and not buried as a reminder to the witchers of what happened. So what happened was as a result of that monstrum that was released, these fanatics stormed Kermorin and the only witchers that survived were the ones who were not present at the castle during the time. Although it happened a long time ago, like Triss lets us know it did, this is probably why there's very few witchers. Because we do know that in this world, it's not a common thing for somebody to come across a witcher. Like when a lot of people say that when they meet Geralt. So yeah, so many were killed at one time. And this also could be an explanation for why they no longer turn children into witchers. And I'll explain why I think that in a little bit, because I'm going to elaborate more. But my next point that I wanted to go over was uh, I wanted to talk about Siri in more detail, uh, how she's kind of becoming a witcher. Because last episode, I talked about my worries that they'd subject Siri to the trial of grasses. And that hasn't happened, thankfully. But they are putting her through similar physical trainings that they would, how they used to train the witcher children. And they're feeding her these mushrooms and herbs that accelerate her strength and possibly even her speed. So this is one of the things that Triss advises they lay off of because it could impede her body's natural development as she's growing up. But Triss thinks for a moment they summon her to Caremorn to assist with the mutation. So that moment when she's laying in bed and she's thinking about Siri and she thinks that, oh, maybe they want to actually do the trial of grasses on this girl and they need a mage's help and that's why I've been summoned here. Uh, the trial of grasses ceased to take place when the mages who knew how to magically control the process died out. So maybe all of those mages were killed during that massacre. Like maybe they lived in Caremore. Like they definitely had to be there because the mutations, the trial of grasses were taking place in the castle in this laboratorium that Tris thinks of. So I'm wondering if maybe that's what happened. Like we learned that 
there was this massacre there. All these fanatics went in and killed all the witchers, which there must have been a lot of them because witchers are pretty strong and powerful. And they maybe also killed the mages, which I'm guessing that's what we're supposed to assume, but it's not directly said one way or the other. We just know that there are no living mages that have ever performed that, that still have that knowledge. So I just wanted to kind of tie those two different points together here. So for Siri, although she's not doing the mutations, the training seems to be quite strenuous. So Siri's body is completely covered in bruises and that really upsets Triss. Um, she's the only one upset about it though. Like Siri is actually herself pretty unfazed. Like she she's surprised to see Triss's reaction to this, but she says things like, oh, you've got to learn a, a Liprex <laughs> and, and you have to keep trying so you don't catch fear. She's really cute. I like Siri. I'm just picturing like a, a young kid saying things like that. And it's just, it's pretty adorable. But Geralt explains why he's not worried about her. And this probably applies to the other witchers as well. And here we actually get a little bit more information into what Siri experienced um, after the whole Sintra thing, when Sintra was um, like attacked by Nilfgaard and her whole family and everybody in the castle got killed. So from Geralt, we learned that she somehow managed to slip past Nilfgaard's cohorts and survived by herself for two weeks. He says that she was left to her own devices in the forest for two whole weeks, like a little kid. That's pretty crazy. She was able to do that. She spent a month with other fugitives with no shelter, very little food, and then ended up with that peasant family for about half a year where Geralt found her, where she probably wasn't too bad off there, like the, the, the wife and mother that we met and at the end of something more. Like, she seemed like a very nice lady, so I don't think that she had it too rough there. But still, she w didn't have any family around. She just went through a lot, and she's living with these strangers. It's still rough. So I'm kind of glad that we were able to learn what happened. Um, it, it, there's not too many details, though, but I did want to know what happened to her after Sintra. I talked about that, I guess, last episode. Now we know. That's probably the most details that we're going to get, though. Maybe. I mean, maybe we'll learn a little bit more later. I, I don't know. I, I do know. But <laughs> I'm not going to say because I'm leaving the spoilers out, as you are probably aware of. So even though Ciri's a young girl surrounded by a group of men, a group of tough men, she seems to be pretty happy with the setup and proud to call herself a witcher. And she really seems like she looks up to these men. She definitely looks up to Geralt. Like there's no doubt about that and really cares about him. He really cares about her. She's not going to stay there with them for good, though. Uh, Geralt tells Triss when when Triss advises that Ciri should not grow wild from a lack of interaction with her peers, that he's already planned to take her to the temple school in Alander to Neneke. So we actually hear a mention of Neneke again, which is the first time since the um, Last Wish book. And we like Neneke. So hopefully that's something that we will get to tag along on with, as the reader so that we can we can say what's up to Neneke again. <laughs> okay, so last thing that I wanted to talk about before we wrap this up, I wanted to just give a little breakdown of the witchers and what we know about them so far because we don't really know anything about these guys that are super close to Geralt and we have gotten to know Geralt really well. I'll start with Geralt. Um, he's the one we're the most familiar with, although this is the first time we're seeing him settled in for the winter in a place that's most like a home to him with people who resemble family the most for him. 
so basically we got to witness him in what's probably the most like his most comfortable setting just it's, it's nice so there's Vesemir and we've heard of him before uh, he's the oldest and he acts like a mentor and father to Geralt and probably the other witchers we also learned that um, he's very very old and he used to be the fencing instructor we don't know exactly how old he is but from the way that Triss describes it I would I would guess and I could be way off but I would guess he might be around like 300 years old because mages can live a long time and if Triss is impressed by his possible age then he's got to be really old which is kind of good because then we should hope to see Geralt live for a long time so then there is Eskel he seems polite mostly respectful he and Geralt are probably the closest uh, we know that they were training together as kids they probably went through the mutations and all that stuff together um not really a whole lot to say about him though Lambert is definitely more disrespectful uh like he calls Triss uh he calls her Marigold he calls her by her last name she hates it uh he tells Siri like she's a sissy and a wimp for needing a safety device on the long balance beam I don't think he's like the worst person in the world but he's I would say out of all of the witchers he's definitely the least respectful <laughs> I don't think anybody would argue with me on that and then there's Cohen and he is the one that they're probably the most unfamiliar with like Triss never actually met him until this story but she's familiar with all the other witchers uh Vesemir says he came from Povis and it's his first time wintering with them so I honestly don't even know if Geralt's met him until this trip to Caramore and uh it, it's not said but I mean maybe they are maybe they've met before but I don't think that they got close but he seems like a nice guy he seems pretty respectful um they say that he's younger like Lambert so Lambert's supposed to be the youngest of all the witchers and Cohen's probably about his age and we also learned that his eyes didn't take to the mutations as well because they are riddled with red threads which is an indicator of that and that's uh just another detail with the trial of grasses and turning somebody into a witcher that kind of makes your stomach turn a little bit to think about what they had to go through uh it sounds like it sucks really bad okay wrapping this up uh Geralt seems to really really care about Siri it's so nice it's it's just so sweet he's um like he gets really defensive when I should, maybe I shouldn't say really he, he gets rather defensive when Triss asks questions like uh, he's just kind of gives these very short definitive responses in this um like end of discussion tone like this is the way it is and we're not going to talk about it anymore like you are going to accept that or you're going to shut up like that's kind of the attitude he gives off and i think it's because he doesn't want anybody questioning what he's doing with siri because he thinks he's doing what's best for her and i think it maybe is a little bit offensive to him when somebody is questioning that but i think that's just coming from a place of him caring a lot which is really nice uh, in the Sword of Destiny story, he had no interest in taking her with him. And I, it's just, I, I mentioned that because, you know, he's now, he cares about her so much now. Whereas there was this time where he didn't, he, he didn't even want to bring her along. And I know that it was also um, partly because he wanted to protect her from his dangerous lifestyle. But still, it's just funny that now he's got her with him and he just cares so much. It's cute. <laughs> Uh, and it probably wasn't even really easy for him to figure out how to care for a little girl, but I think he's got it down. I think that she's been there long enough now, and I can't remember. I think they do say something that gives you a general idea of how long she's been there, but I can't, I should have written it down. 
maybe about six months or a year or somewhere in between. I don't think it's exceeded a year, but um, he, yeah, he, either way, in that amount of time that she's been there, um, he has figured it out. He seems to know what he's doing with her and she seems to love him. So it's going pretty well, except for um, some of the mediumistic things, as Tris calls it that's going on with her. Um, so Tris is probably going to stay and try to get to the bottom of Siri's powers, uh, see if there's anything that she can do. Hopefully she can help Siri control what's going on because we really don't want another incident like what happened with Pivetta, um, especially if Siri, maybe she's even more powerful than Pivetta and, <clears throat> and things could go way worse. So I hope Tris is a competent enough sorceress, but we'll see. Uh, she says that Siri's a source though, but we don't know what that's supposed to mean yet. Hopefully we'll get some more of an explanation on that then the next time that we meet back up with this group. Um, but yeah, we're not sure what Triss has planned for Siri. Hopefully she resolves it quickly. I guess that's all I have to say about that. You just don't want anything bad happening to these people. Especially considering that somebody is after her, is after Siri. We, you know, so we got somebody after Siri and then Siri's also got these weird magical abilities, like some creepy voices speaking through her. The future doesn't seem too positive. <laughs> and if the stuff can get resolved sooner rather than later, that would be great. All right. Yeah. With that in mind, the, um, the Nilfgaardian mage that's after her, we haven't gotten any updates there on this chapter that was just completely left out. So it doesn't seem like he has learned Geralt or Ciri's whereabouts, though, because I think if he did, he would probably, as a mage, be able to figure out a way to get to Karen Morin, and this guy didn't just come bursting through the door looking for Ciri. So that's a good sign, I guess. Hopefully it continues that way. He doesn't learn where they are. All right. Well, I think that's all I got for you. Just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube with video and Spotify and Apple Podcasts with just the audio. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you all in the next episode. Goodbye.